welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. This week, I'm going to do a podcast called Cringe-Worthy Menopause Myths, and I actually got this idea from the Instagram post I did earlier in the week. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, I'm at hormone.health.doc and totally recommend that you do because it's such a nice community and I really let you guys weigh in on a lot of topics and certainly take what you guys tell me or send me in your DMs or questions and turn them into podcast episode ideas. So it's a great place. But the reason I want to do this podcast today is I am also extremely, extremely sleep deprived. So I definitely let you guys in on a little secret that I was in my third trimester uh, podcast or two back. And it turns out that I actually had my baby early and baby is doing great. He's being taken care of in the best hospital I could ever imagine. And so with me being a little low on energy, I'm going to take that Instagram post I did and break down some of the most cringe worthy menopause myths that I hear on a daily basis. Before I get into all that, just a quick word from our sponsor, Femme Pharma. Who needs an intimate skin moisturizer? Well, many women experience vaginal and vulvar dryness without having a name for it. They feel tightness, pain, burning or itching, and don't know why. These symptoms are often associated with menopause, but many younger women experience these issues too. If you have had a hysterectomy or or your ovaries removed... If you have endometriosis, Sorgen syndrome, or any other autoimmune disease, if you've been treated for cancer, if you take an antidepressant or an antihistamine, if you are on hormone replacement therapy, or you have undergone laser vaginal rejuvenation, you may have vulvar or vaginal dryness. Femme Pharma's products can really help. I have been recommending these products to my patients for several months now since I learned about Femme Pharma and have been extremely satisfied with the results and extremely happy with the testimonies that my patients have come back to me with. I definitely would recommend trying Femme Pharma's products today for relief from intimate dryness, itching, and pain. So you can check them out at femmepharma.com, and you're going to spell that F-E-M-M-E-P-H-A-R-M-A.com. Definitely Dr. Heather Hirsch approved. So like I said, I have been not getting a ton of sleep, but the idea of not doing a podcast, it just, I couldn't bear the thought. So today we're talking about six cringe-worthy menopause myths. The first one on my list was something that my patients say to me that they were told by their clinicians, which was that they were or are too young to have XYZ symptom of either perimenopause or menopause. Now, the reason that's cringeworthy is that certainly the average age of menopause in the United States is 51. The average age of entering perimenopause in the United States is 47, but that's just the average. There's a bell curve to everything. 
I have plenty of patients in their mid to late 50s who are still having regular periods. And on the other side of that bell curve, I have plenty of women in their early 40s or even their late 30s who are experiencing perimenopause into menopause or the menopause transition, however you want to call it. And then there's an entirely separate diagnosis of women who have premature menopause, which is menopause before age 40, and early menopause, which is menopause between ages of 40 and 45. So really, you can be at menopause at any age, any age. The youngest patient I had back in Ohio was 17, and the oldest patient I have is about 57. So I mean, what a huge age range. And there's no way to know if you are going to be the average person. There's no good crystal ball. There's no way your family history can totally predict it. There's no genetics that we know. There's no precision medicine that we know. So we do not know when each and every one of us is going to go into menopause. Because perimenopause is its own beast that people don't think about, for many, many women, they start to experience menopausal symptoms in late perimenopause. In fact, I did a wonderful YouTube video on this. So uh, Health by Heather Hirsch is my YouTube channel. I definitely recommend checking that out. And I just did a video on how to tell if you're in early versus late perimenopause. But symptoms of menopause can definitely start before the textbook definition of menopause, which is one year of no menstrual periods. So you can never be too young to have any symptom. If you're having hot flashes, if you're having night sweats, if you're having brain fog, vaginal dryness, any other symptom of menopause, and you bring it to your doctor and someone says, just right off the cuff, nope, you're just way too young, that is extremely dismissive and it's really dangerous because if you are young, if you do have premature menopause or if you do have early menopause, we actually know that this physiology is much different than natural menopause and that actually the risks to your health if you don't take estrogen replacement are much bigger than if you did. And so the gold standard of care for women who have menopause before age 40 and also as well, we consider this group to be women who have menopause under age 45 is to take hormone therapy. So in a sense, it's really quite dangerous to just dismiss that and say, no, it absolutely can't be that. Now, I think the reason that people dismiss these issues is because, in my really strong opinion, this has to do with the way they did their training, and it's a system issue. They just didn't get menopause training in medical school. They didn't get menopause training in their residency, be it internal medicine or OBGYN or family medicine. We just don't get our trainees to see enough patients who come to talk just about menopause. So you know, I am on a mission to change that. I practice at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and I have students with me all the time and I absolutely love it, as do my patients because they really want women to learn. So you can never be too young to have a symptom because no one knows when menopause is going to hit and similarly when you're going to be going through or starting perimenopause, which can last several years, but have the exact same symptoms as menopause. The second cringeworthy myth going off this is that the idea that labs are pointless. And so a lot of people will come to me and say, well, my doctor just said I didn't need them or they weren't going to help or et cetera, et cetera. 
This also kind of folds into the first part of that, well, you're too young. No, we don't need labs. And and I do think that it's, again, because they don't know how to interpret them. They never learned this stuff in their training or in their residency. So this gets sort of brushed off as, oh, you don't really need them. Now, let me explain a little bit because cringeworthy menopause myth number three is that you need every single lab test under the sun. And you don't. Uh, sometimes I see patients uh, who come to me who've been to a wellness clinic or they've been getting bioidentical pellets or some other kind of non-FDA approved uh, option. And they bring with me pages and pages and pages and pages of lab tests that they've been getting every single hormone under the sun. And so it's not that you need none and it's not that you need 800. So what labs do you really need? Well, let me explain this so that you kind of have the cliff notes and you can also help your clinicians if you need to be the one to explain this to them. Now, if you're in menopause, by the textbook, menopause is 12 months of no period. So let's say it's been 15 months, you've not had any periods, you're of the average age, you're having classic symptoms. Do you really need labs? Well, no, because I know that you're menopausal and your labs really aren't going to tell me anything different. That being said, I often tell my patients, but you know, if you're curious and you want to see where they are because it's your blood levels, you know, here's what I would recommend we check, but here's what I think is what they're going to look like. So in this scenario, if I have someone who's definitely menopausal, let's say it's even been two years since their last period. I can check with two lab tests, one, two. I'm going to check your follicle stimulating hormone level or what we call an FSH for short. And FSH in menopause is going to be high, greater than 35. If you're really menopausal, I mean, it's been years since you've had a period, it's going to be really high, like 100. And your estrogen level when you are in menopause is going to be between zero and 20. Now, some women make a little teeny tiny bit of estrogen, sometimes from our fat cells, actually, our adipose tissue will make a little bit of estrogen, or our adrenal glands will make a little bit of estrogen, but those levels are going to be between zero and 20. Now, to give you a reference range, when you are cycling and having periods, estrogen goes anywhere between 50 and 500 every month and just goes up down, up, down. And when it's highest, when it's at its level peak of 500, that's when you ovulate. When it's lowest, that's when you shed your lining and have your period and up and down and up and down, it continues to go. So between zero and 20 is still pretty much zero. You're not making very much estrogen at all. Now, I could also get a little fancy and we could throw in a testosterone level. Now, I certainly could do a whole podcast just talking about testosterone replacement, but testosterone is something I sometimes check because if I'm going to replace it, it's nice to have a baseline. Now, women's testosterone levels are in in my lab as a reference between 8 and 60. And when I worked in Ohio, it's between like 10 and 65. So, you know, somewhere around there is normal. And most of the time, if you are menopausal and we're on the same scenario, your testosterone is going to be on the lower side, usually less than 30. Very commonly, it's less than 20 or sometimes it's even zero. Now, let's take the scenario of you being in perimenopause. Now, this is when labs can be helpful, but I always tell my patients that labs are just data points. The most helpful thing 
to know about when you are in menopause or if you are in the menopause transition or if this is perimenopause is your history of your periods, your symptoms, and anything else that you want to write down. But knowing what your periods are doing is going to help me way more than your lab work. But again, I don't want to be completely dismissive and say, no, 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 you don't need them. Because it is nice to use this data and it is nice for my patients to see where they are. So if you're still having periods, but they're spacing out a lot, which is characteristic of late menopause, or you're like all of a sudden having periods like every 20 days or 17 days or 21 days, that's characteristic of early perimenopause, then again, you can check your FSH and estradiol. Now, they're of course not going to be definitive because if you checked them every single day for a month, they would bounce around. Um, That's why I call them data points and you really want to take them in context with what your periods are doing and also what your symptoms are, and you want to track them over time. And again, I can do the same with just those two hormone levels. One, two, your FSH level and your estradiol level. Your FSH level in perimenopause is usually less than 35, but you know, you might get Let's again, let's say we checked your FSH for 30 days. It might go from like 22 to 47 to 29 to 30. You know, it's going to stay in that around 30 range on average, but you certainly could get one that's really low, like 17, and one that's a little bit higher, like 47. It will bounce around. And the same thing will happen with your estradiol level. You get an estradiol level of 17. You could get an estradiol level of 300 or 250 because you're, you know, about to ovulate. And so those levels can bounce around. And so you can use them as data points. Now, are they going to make a definitive diagnosis? No, it's a clinical diagnosis. Clinical diagnosis means your doctor uses his or her brain to decide if you're in perimenopause early or late in menopause, but labs are more data. They're more data points. So again, it's not that you need no labs and that they're useless, but you do not need a slew of other labs. A progesterone level, completely irrelevant, I promise you. An esterol level, irrelevant. An esterone level, totally irrelevant. An LH level irrelevant. All you need is an FSH and an estradiol level. Now, a lot of people ask about other miscellaneous things like cortisol, this, that. I got to tell you, I really try and stay away from checking them because what else is it going to tell us? A lot of people say, well, I want to know what my cortisol is doing. And I'll say, well, I'll tell you if you're stressed out, I'm sure you're squeaking out some extra cortisol, but there is no, there is no nothing to do with that number other than just know it. But your cortisol is going to go down if we fix your symptoms, if you start to sleep again, if your brain can sort of relax, if you can stop having hot flashes, that's going to make your cortisol go back down. So that's a little bit about labs. I've got three more cringeworthy menopause myths coming up right after I tell you about my menopause course. So stick around. I just want to remind you that my course, The Complete Guide to Menopause, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know, Your Doctor Never Told You, is available for you to take online at your own pace. This six-hour course that I created covers everything you could ever want to know about menopause. Ideally, it's like sitting with me in an office and having a long conversation about menopause, the definitions, the facts, and the evidence behind making the right decision for you. In this course, I really walk you through how to come out of this journey feeling confident and successful instead of 
confused and frustrated, which is what I find so many women go through and why I became a menopause doctor and why I created this course for you. If you want to learn more about the course, simply go to my website, heatherhirschmd.com slash course. Okay. So what are the other cringeworthy myths? Well, myth number four is that menopause is natural and there's nothing that needs or should be done. And I think that while this is true, menopause certainly is natural, I have a couple of theories on this. First, in the cave days, I think that we died oftentimes before menopause, before age 50, or actually very typically during childbirth. If you think about the interventions that we now do, C-sections, etc., you know, many of us certainly may have died in childbirth. And I don't think we were really meant to live very past uh, the age of our ovaries. So our age has sort of, you know, superseded the length of our ovaries. So uh, yes, it's certainly menopause is natural, but or is it that we have certainly just outlived what used to be sort of, you know, our average uh, life expectancy? And second, I got this from my mentor, Dr. Holly Thacker, who always would say that there are certainly other natural processes like childbirth, (laughs) going back to childbirth, and death. And just because they're both natural doesn't mean that we don't use medical interventions or treatments or, you know, medications when you need them. We intervene if you need help. And the same is absolutely true of menopause. And I certainly would even argue that if you are really symptomatic and you're really suffering and someone doesn't intervene or you don't start a medication that is actually much worse for your overall health and your overall well-being. And so certainly, yes, menopause is natural, but if you are really symptomatic, you definitely should consider, if not just even think about, you know, risks and benefits of any type of intervention, whether it's non-hormonal or it is hormone therapy. Now, certainly there are also folks who like to uh, not take medications, and absolutely no one really likes taking medications. So certainly you can also go through menopause naturally. You don't have to take anything. But what I always tell my patients is you really do want to start to consider when you're having more bad days than you're having good days or more, you know, sleepless nights than you're having nights full of good sleep. If the ratio is really off, even if you're doing all the right things, you're meditating, you're journaling, you're exercising, you're eating healthy, you know, this is a physiologic process. This is for all intents and purposes, the majority of us out of our hands is genetics. It's the cards we were, we were dealt. And so if you're doing absolutely everything, but you're still finding you're having more bad days than good days, that's when you really want to think about seeking help and seeking an intervention. Because again, I think you're only harming yourself if you don't do something. Now, in a lot of the social media groups or Facebook groups, or even just in general magazines, etc., there seems to be a lot of menopause shaming, and I'm so over it. I'm sure we're all over it. From any side, you know, women are shamed if they take hormone therapy. They're shamed if they don't take hormone therapy. And there really is no right or wrong answer. And certainly some women have a 
constellation of symptoms. And some women don't. Some women really have more of a silent type of menopause. Some women are overtly suffering. And there really does not have to be, you know, one right answer or one right thing. I do, you know, prescribe hormone therapy a lot, but again, by the time patients come to see me as a consultative expert, typically they're really suffering. And so that's probably why there's a, a, a bias or there's a larger percentage of people who leave my office on hormone therapy. But, you know, I also see breast cancer survivors, breast cancer patients, patients who don't want to accept the risks, patients who have history of blood clots or clot in their lungs and can't take hormone therapy. And I I also have a plethora of patients who also just want to come to my office to receive top-notch education and to know what to expect or to think about their options if and when symptoms happen. So there is never one right answer, but just because menopause is natural doesn't mean that you just need to suffer through it for years. That is the wrong message. All right. The next myth, myth number five, is that we just get older and we leak urine and we pee our pants and we don't have sex anymore and we start forgetting everything and we get dementia and on and on and on. You kind of get the picture. And, you know, all of that is not true. Simply because we're going up in age, it doesn't mean that we have to accept these things, which, you know, are, for lack of better words, kind of common. Now, let's talk about incontinence. Incontinence is a topic we've talked about here um, at times on the podcast. I did a great episode with my really good friend, uh, Dr. Kelly Casperson, a couple of podcasts back, and she has her own podcast called You Are Not Broken. She's a urologist based out in Washington State. And so we talked about the different types of continence. There's stress incontinence, which is leaking urine if you sneeze, cough, or jump. There's urge incontinence, which is the gotta go, gotta go, but can't get to the bathroom fast enough. There's overflow incontinence, which is kind of just what it sounds like. After you urinate, you might stand up or dribble, or you might have to push to get that extra bit of urine out. And then there's mixed incontinence, which is any type of combination of stress, urge, overflow, etc. And it is absolutely a myth that you just have to buy diapers and, and pee your pants. There's, it, it's just absolutely not true. And again, the same with all the other things that you're not going to have sex again, completely untrue. Or, you know, what other, other sort of myth goes along with aging? Now, incontinence is really common, especially if you have a weaker pelvic floor, which can happen simply just by going through menopause because estrogen really can help stabilize or strengthen the pelvic floor. So menopause itself can really be a risk factor. Any type of vaginal deliveries or traumatic deliveries or large babies, you know, that's going to change the pelvic floor. Anything that, you know, just puts pressure on that. So weight gain um, is even just a really common reason why we can have incontinence. But there are so many options depending on what type of incontinence you have, whether it's stress or whether it's urge. The first step is trying to figure out which one it is. But you certainly can find a urogynecologist to help you fix any type of leaky bladder. 
And leaky bladder is not a benign thing. It's not as simple as let's just wear a liner or let's just wear a pad or an adult diaper. This really affects your quality of life. I know many women who said they won't travel anymore. I know women who said they won't go to the movies anymore for fear of you know, not being able to sit through a whole movie or peeing in your pants from laughing at said movie. And certainly I know women who only go to places where they know where the bathroom is. And it's really, really quite stressful. You can have incontinence during your intimate moments. You can have incontinence while you're out with your girlfriends laughing and eating dinner. You know, this can happen at work. This affects your quality of life just like other menopausal symptoms do. And it is not something that you just need to accept. Now, while we're talking about liners and and adult diapers or anything that kind of wicks away that urine, a lot of people, you know, go to liners. I really want to put a small plug here for, you know, liners are not benign things either. They certainly can add to the dryness. They certainly can cause uh, yeast infections. They're irritating to the labia, etc. So wearing liners all the time is also kind of problematic, but certainly, right, the media always kind of just has us buying them for our entire lives, first for our periods and then postmenopausally. And, you know, it's a little predatory. So just because you get older, you do not have to just accept the fact or the fate that you are going to leak urine. I highly recommend finding a urogynecologist, starting with just asking your primary care doctor, your family medicine doctor, or if you're still seeing an OBGYN, you know, let them know you're leaking. A lot of women don't even tell their doctors because they just think, well, don't, doesn't everyone just start leaking and don't we all just wear pads and liners? No, 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 no. Make sure you tell your doctor and make sure that you get this addressed. The last myth that I want to discuss today is going back to hormone therapy and its use in the perimenopausal um, transition. Now, again, I told you I have a really nice YouTube video on this, and I talk a lot about perimenopause and how to treat perimenopause, but it is absolutely a myth that you can't use postmenopausal doses of estrogen and or progesterone or even postmenopausal doses of vaginal estrogen if you're, you know, perimenopausal. I don't know why this is such a myth. It's not a myth that's as pervasive among like women or patients. It's more of a myth that seems to be pervasive among clinicians. Um, No, you can't take hormone therapy. You're not menopausal. Of course you can. We just said that symptoms can start in perimenopause. And for a lot of women, using postmenopausal estrogen in late perimenopause works beautifully. It really can stop those symptoms. And if you're going to have symptoms for a few years, again, that goes back to the the last myth we just talked about. There is no point in sticking it out just for the fact of sticking it out because you don't get a badge, you don't get a medal of honor, you just get more sleepless nights. So you absolutely can use postmenopausal hormone therapy in, you know, particularly late perimenopause, sometimes in early perimenopause. And that's just because they can be harder to tell which one you're in. And the same thing applies with vaginal estrogen and not only perimenopause, but even postpartum or for women who are taking birth control pills 
that can sometimes cause vaginal dryness. So there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't use postmenopausal uh, vaginal estrogen to help with dryness. You know, I have a saying that sex should never be painful because it's so easy to cure dryness or the medical term is dyspareunia. That's the medical term for painful intercourse. And it tends to happen because of a low estrogen state that could be either from birth control pills, that could be postpartum and breastfeeding, that could be perimenopause, that could be menopause. And so we shouldn't withhold any of these options if they're going to help. So going back to summarizing a really important point here, when we think about you know you, the myths of you're too young or you need all these labs or you don't need any labs or you have to just stick it out because menopause is natural, you know I always say that yes, having an accurate and perfect diagnosis is so important and so helpful. But smack dab underneath that is making you feel better and making you thrive and making you feel really good throughout your perimenopause to menopause transition. And I want that for you so much that I really, really gain so much joy from doing my podcasts and having women tell me that they've listened to them and they learn things from them. So I couldn't be more grateful to have you as my audience. Thank you guys so much for listening in to this week's episode. If you liked it and you haven't already dropped a review on iTunes, please do because this podcast is climbing to the top 100 in the medicine category, which is absolutely huge to have a podcast dedicated towards women in midlife and at menopause. If you haven't checked out my YouTube channel, it's Health by Heather Hirsch, totally a fun other platform that's growing really fast. And be sure to follow me on Instagram. I'm at hormone.health.doc. Or if you're a Twitter girl, I'm at Heather Hirsch MD. I will see you guys next week for another exciting episode. And please let me know what else you'd like to hear next. See you next week, guys. Bye.